Hey listeners, we've loved delving into the business of wine with you and our guests. Your feedback via email, text, social media, and by joining us on our live episodes on Clubhouse has meant the world to us, and we keep striving to do better and better. Some of you have asked on how you can help support the show. So we've decided to launch on Patreon, where your contributions can offset the cost of the show and you can get access to our full library of episodes with more benefits to come. To become a patron of X Chateau, go to patreon.com slash X Chateau to lend your support starting at $5 a month. You can find the link in our show notes or on xchateau.com. We will give a shout out to all new patrons each episode. Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights with your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today, we have a returning guest, Amanda McCrossan, who is a wine influencer known as Sam Vivant and formerly the wine director at Press in Napa Valley. Is wine director correct or Samway? Both, actually. Okay. <laughs> Samway, then wine director, yes. Okay. But your last title was wine director, right? Correct. Yes. Correct. Most okay. recently known as wine director. And so on this episode, we're going to talk about wine on TikTok. So Amanda, welcome back to the show. Good to be back, guys. Thanks for having me return this enjoyable conversation. It's great to have you back. Obviously, we had you on episode 12 when we were doing our series on Wine Influencer that people can listen to and check out all the details on Amanda's background. We're not going to really cover that in this episode. But we're here because there was a recent article in the San Francisco Chronicle about why wine brands are moving to TikTok instead of Instagram. And you were featured and you've had some amazing success on the platform. And I wanted to give our listeners who are largely a trader or, or avid collectors, like what is some of the value that you're seeing out of the wine TikTok community happening right now? And like, what is some of the content that is really working there? Yeah. So TikTok is a really interesting platform that I am still sort of in the nascent stages of. I am by no means an expert. I just jumped on there in July of 2021. And in the last couple of months, I had some some traction, some success on there that the San Francisco Chronicle was really interested in, particularly because two of the videos converted very highly for the wineries that I featured. And so as we're looking at this new landscape of how to sell and market wine, Peter, I know you're like chomping at the bit, like luxury wine marketing, how can, like, how can <laughs> we make this work? And well, I definitely want to talk about that with you. As we're sort of navigating this landscape, it was the first time in my social media career that I've had this kind of ROI, so to speak, this type of conversion. So we had one particular winery that was featured get 1,100 signups to their mailing list. That sort of, that translated to a high number of sales should they convert, obviously. And then the other one had sales for his winery that weren't even the wine that was featured because that wine was sold out. Like I talked about a Sauvignon Blanc that wasn't even on there. So what does this mean? What does this look like? I don't know. But what I am seeing is there is a whole generation or multi-generation of consumers that are eager to learn about wine, eager, eager to discover new labels, eager to just be part of this community. And I think this is the first time that I've been able to access them. And I think it has everything to do with the discoverability element that TikTok provides. So just for clarity, the 1,100 email signups, according to the article, was Doohig Wines. And one who got sales and, and 70 list signups was Massacan Winery. 
both Napa Valley based wines. Just wanted to do that for people who need to write examples <laughs> like Robert for the MW exam. <laughs> exactly. and, and not inexpensive wines, by the way. Yeah, I am curious. So like, so I think a lot of people think, and at least in the, you know, obviously our, our industry is picked up and adjusted to Instagram. I think a lot of people think of TikTok as like a platform where people are doing like choreographed dance moves and things like that. But when do you think TikTok switched to being a little bit more diverse outside of different things and also related to wine? Like when do you think wine started to like actually make a dent on TikTok? I can't speak to exactly when it was. Although, Robert, I remember being on Clubhouse with you months ago and swearing off TikTok like I will never be on there because it makes absolutely no sense. And then I think for me, there was two major shifts. One, a friend of mine who's a fellow creative on the, she's a comedian. She was like, it's really more short form content that you're allowed to make versus dance and music videos. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to put it because I always, I love me a good creative constraint. So I think when I started reframing it as short form content versus lip syncing and choreographed dance routine videos, that started to have some sort of shift for me in terms of content creation. And then the other big thing was the two time limit increases, Want the first being from 15 seconds to one minute. And the second, which was the real shift for me being from one minute to three minutes, because the difference between one and three is value add, at least for wine. It's the ability to really dig into some deeper 201 level content. So with a three-minute video, you can essentially set up a hook on the early beginning, catch their attention, and then explain what that hook that you had set up for there and really kind of give a small, short video that's going to actually impart some knowledge on the viewers. When did that three-minute change happen? I don't remember exactly. I know it was in the fall at some point because I remember it. I remember when I first got on there, it had already switched to one minute, and that was in the summer. And I think it was sometime in November thereabouts that it switched to three minutes. The short form content piece is pretty important because my fiance used to work at TikTok and they think of themselves as a short form video entertainment platform, not social media. There's like a big distinction there, at least in their minds, because you're not, it's not following your friends or other people. And that's not even necessarily about that interacting. It's like entertainment platform of which you're that people are putting short form content on and sourced from all these different people. Yeah, it's a weird hybrid between, for lack of other examples, YouTube and Instagram, and that YouTube, it leans more YouTube in the fact that it's a content platform, though it does have social elements and some of the other, like the short elements that Instagram has. But to your point, yeah, like I can't really DM with people on TikTok. You have to be following each other. So in order for real conversations to be had, that actually has to go back over to Instagram. Now, what I will say is I'm actually having great conversations in the comments. And I think because people are learning from these videos, it's allowing me to figure out what content they want that's maybe tangentially related to the content that I'm putting out. So this ability to reply with a video to your comments is huge. I don't see that as a possibility for any other platform right now. And so how do you see the distinction between Instagram Reels, which is trying to be like TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, other social media, and TikTok? You mentioned educational content, and that was another focus that my fiance had talked about was like, TikTok is about education. I'm like, really? I just see dogs doing funny things online. But like... (laughs) They are. (laughs) They definitely are. I mean, I think the distinction between Reels and TikTok is obviously there's the time limit factor. Instagram is still in that 30 second to one minute hub, which is a little frustrating because I think they could be doing more if they had increased it. But 
I think there's also value in limiting it to 60 seconds. But as far as the difference, I mean, I just don't see there being as much educational content on a deeper level on Instagram versus TikTok, which you can kind of do it all. Like there's a widespread of types of content that you can have ranging from funny dog videos, commentary on cultural events like we had at the Oscars. I mean, there's lots of different things. And then you also have this idea of trends, right? You look at what's happening on Reels and these trends are three weeks after what's happening on TikTok. So TikTok really is sort of the breeding ground for trends and what's interesting, what's happening, what the zeitgeist is versus Instagram, which is feeling a little bit, no offense to Instagram, feeling a little bit more copycat, feeling a little bit older, feeling a little bit more behind because they are so behind on the trends. And if you need me to elaborate on the trends, I'm happy to talk yeah, about that. Yeah, I mean, let's do a quick breakdown of, so you obviously you can post videos that can be upwards of three minutes using their creator tools, which are quite powerful. You also it's have... It's actually technically 10 minutes now, but... Right. And that's if you upload an existing Correct. video, you're not using their creator yes. tools. Correct. Okay. And then you can also go live. So you can run live sessions, right? Yep. And I have great success with that. And then people can take your videos and like respond to them or ask a question in relation to your videos that you can then respond to with a video, right? Yes. And that is a very powerful tool. Right. And those are some of the more unique tools to just TikTok. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I think those are the ones that while maybe you look at it as an outsider and go, is that really a value add? As a creator, it's been everything. I mean, the discoverability for live videos is huge. I mean, as you're scrolling through that feed, you can see who's currently live, even if you're not following them. That for you page, that discoverability page will show you live videos. It will show you content that from people that you're not following. The responding to comments with videos allows you to really dig into what people are asking for and makes it very easy for the people that are watching the videos to just kind of continue down this rabbit hole a la YouTube. So just in terms of covering some ground, I think a lot of people also in the wine industry think of TikTok as where a very young, maybe not age drinking population hangs out. But I think looking at some of your examples, you've seen some different impact or different audience retention. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Like who are your, who are the people that are following Amanda McCrossan and interacting with your content? And then what have wine brands that you've worked with or, or have referenced said about that? Yeah. So the demographics are really interesting on TikTok because it is, at least in the US, it's very female leaning. So my demographic is 75% female to 25% male. And they don't give you a ton of insight in terms of more specific demographics other than location. My primary location is the United States, Canada after that, and I think Australia is after that. But I think what I'm seeing is it's not just a young 15-year-old. I mean, certainly they're on the platform, certainly they're having fun, but the people that I'm interacting with are above the age of 21 and actually deep into like their 30s and beyond. This is millennial. This is basically anywhere from like boomer on down. Like I'm interacting with people that are definitely of a certain age. I'm interacting with people that have money to spend on wine. I think the conversion of what we saw with those videos proves that point. It's no longer anecdotal. We actually saw people going, purchasing wine that maybe they would not normally have, or maybe they were already and they just didn't know what to buy. Like maybe $35 was their average spend in a Sauvignon Blanc, but they were just going to get their, their normal Sauvignon Blanc from the grocery store. I don't know. But TikTok is like so many platforms, a little bit more, they're not officially disclosing their demographics, but I think the evidence is supporting that now over 50% of the platform is actually above the age of 30. So 
And everyone's aging up, right? I think it's the same thing that we saw with, with Instagram years ago. Everyone's aging up. I was going to say Facebook, Instagram, all those platforms, <laughs> they start with their core audience, which tends exactly. to be younger. As it proliferates and gets more popular and mainstream, parents and other people get involved, I guess. And <laughs> the age goes up. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your journey on TikTok. You've kind of rocketed up in terms of being one of the top wine influencers on TikTok. I'm curious on... If you could talk about the traction, like where did you start and where you at now and how long it took you to get there? Yeah. So like I said, I started in July of 2021, really just as like an experiment. Like I said, a friend had said, I think she tried out. I put a few videos up. One of them got some views. I think it was like in the range of like 30,000. It was a video on decanting. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like I would not have expected a video on decanting to get that many views, but interesting. So I tried to make some content that was related to that. That didn't pick up as I had intended. I kind of let it fall by the wayside for, I don't know, maybe a few months. And then in the fleet fall, early winter in December, I really started picking it back up again. There were a couple of things that had happened that had motivated me to do that. And I was like, you know, I think this is maybe, this is still a blue ocean, at least as it pertains to wine and maybe less so for other industries. But I wasn't seeing a lot of, there's still not a huge wine contingency on TikTok. It's still a relatively new unexplored area. And what I was seeing was good, but there was definitely room for other people to go in without it being saturated. So I started making some content, really doubling down, going two to three times a day posting in late December of 2021. One of those videos hit, then another one, then another one, then another one, and then it snowballed from there. And basically, in the span of a month, I went from 250 followers to about 30,000. And today, I sit at 111,000. And this has been since December 26th or 27th of 2021. We're sitting here in late March right now. And that is the time span that you saw me grow from 250 to 111. A lot of it is luck, obviously, getting pushed on the platform by the algorithm onto the For You page. But I do think that there were a few things that I picked up along the way in terms of how you need to sort of hack the platform, hack the algorithm. Robert, you had mentioned the hook earlier, right? The hook is key to this platform. It is so fast. And I do recommend anyone who's thinking about getting on this platform, please spend two weeks to a month. Just watch before you post anything. I mean, feel free to post, but... As you're sort of getting acquainted, I think the best thing you can do is just watch and listen. I took notes. I followed people who were experts on the platform. I watched tons of video. I consumed all the content that I possibly could outside of the realm of wine to understand what worked and what didn't. And a few things that were really key were posting multiple times per day, which I think if you remember, if you think back to like original Instagram days, when it was like when it was a chronological feed and you like if you just posted, 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 you could actually gain traction really quickly. It is sort of Wild West in that way and that you could post two to seven times a day if you wanted to and potentially have your videos pushed, right? So multiple posting per day. The other thing is the hook and then just the quickness of it, like the brevity that you have to have you and then niche would be the other thing. They really love you to stick within a niche. So whether that's wine education, whether that's dog videos, whether that's cooking, as narrow as you can find 
to help that algorithm find your target audience, the better. Because what they want to do is essentially, and I'm sure Peter, your fiance can speak to this more if she if she really wanted to. But what from my understanding is like they want to find that audience. They want to find that core group of people. They want to find what they all have in common. And then they want to multiply that. So I think by staying in your niche, if you can figure out what that core audience is, then they can find the like audiences that potentially will snowball as a result of that. So those are the kinds of things that I learned along the way. Obviously, there's tons of creators out there who are doing the same thing without the same level of success. But I do think that you will have some success if you do those things as a, as a very early adopter of TikTok. <laughs> so you mentioned the hook. For people who don't know what that is, can you explain what that means? Yeah, so the hook is basically your... So you've got... Uh, second and a half to catch someone's attention. So the hook is either something that you say, something that you do, or something that you would put on the screen to catch someone's attention. It's the reason that someone would watch a video. And an example of that would be like, five reasons you need to stop doing this right now. Or it would be something that, you know, an image that would be super jarring that you're like, I need to lean into that and figure out what's going on. Usually it's an on-screen thing. Sometimes it's a question. Some There's, you know, there's tons of different experts out there that will give you a list of different hooks. But I think some of the things that I've... Go ahead. For you, you sometimes use like a skit. You almost like set it up like, what do you mean Brunello and Nobile and, and all these things are and Chianti are all the same grape? And then you like look at a psalm in a funny way and the psalm hand, turns to be you. That's like the first like three seconds of a video. And then you, then you go in and explaining what it is. Yeah. So sometimes it's situational. Sometimes it's funny skits, like you said. I usually try to put the topic of the video at the top so people kind of know what they're watching and like what they're getting into. You know, I never want to be in a situation where like someone that doesn't drink wine or isn't interested in the content is like, this is unnecessary. Although I will say I get a ton of comments from people that are like, I don't even drink wine and I find this interesting, which I find hilarious. But I have noticed a lot of your videos have captions up front that are kind of like titles for the video. Is that a way of creating a hook? Yeah, I think that's, I try to be consistent in terms of the caption as a hook and then obviously having the captions within the video because one, I'm speaking very quickly and two, I'm seeing a lot of words that people maybe are unfamiliar with. So it's sort of twofold, but some people are more audio, some people are more visual. And so I want to be able to capture both of those segments of people. I remember actually watching videos when it's like, when it says up front, wait for it. (laughs) So you're like waiting for the 30 seconds or whatever till the end. We're such animals, right? We will wait for it every time. Even if I'm not interested, I need to know what happened. And then I'm... At least half the time, I'm pretty disappointed. I'm like, really? That's it? <laughs> Can't believe I just spent 30 really seconds doing this. But yeah, is there an optimal length for videos? You think, or maybe it's for different types of videos? But you talked about from 15 seconds all the way to 10 minutes. Now, do you think there's an optimal length, and maybe for wine? I think there's an optimal length for me. I think now that people have come to understand what it is that I do, which is more wine education. Two minutes seems to be the sweet spot. But there was a time period when TikTok was really pushing the seven to nine second videos. And hilariously, that was the Massacre Sauvignon Blanc that I talked about, which I think I mentioned to you when we were traveling together about a month ago. It is the worst video I've ever put out in my life, truly. And this is the one that got him sales. Like this is the one that got featured. It is a nine second video with me in the clip. I'm just drinking wine and swirling and text all over the screen. You You can't see the label of the wine. You can barely see me. You can barely read the text. But because 
TikTok was pushing these seven to nine second videos because they would loop. There was too much text on the screen for that nine second period of time. It was tricking the algorithm into thinking that it was getting more traction. So you had like for a long time, people posting these nine second clips. I think that trend has sort of faded. But like like I said before, it is all about trends on this platform. It is about really being malleable and listening to what is going on, reacting very quickly and doing something in your own way. Those are the keys to TikTok. I mean, I don't think I can put it more plainly and simply than that. So sometimes it's two minutes, but sometimes it's nine seconds. And so how often are you posting videos on TikTok? You said a couple times a day. I started as a couple times a day if for the first month or two. And now I just do it once a day now because the content that I'm putting out takes a good long while to produce. <laughs> like even though it's two minutes, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, today, like I started scripting at 9.30 in the morning. I started shooting at 12.30. I finished recording at about 1.30 and then I just posted right before we got on here at about 2.45. It's a long time for a two-minute video. So if you take your, you obviously still do stuff on Instagram and still do things on YouTube. What percentage of your week or day is TikTok content creation versus those other platforms? It's 95% TikTok now. I mean, it. I wish I, you know, I weren't so, I don't wish. I think it's a little bit... It's a little bit of putting all your eggs in one basket, but when your basket has 111,000 followers in it, it seems like a good basket to keep leaning into, at least sort of in these early stages. So yeah, I mean, I'm still posting on on YouTube. It's just the content is different, right? And I think that because I'm having the success that I'm having, and I'm still learning a lot about the audience on TikTok, I'm just, I'm leaning so heavily into it and trying to figure out what the long-term strategy is because I still don't really know. So this is a full-time job for you in terms of all the doing wine personality, wine influencer, or whatever you want to call it. Are you still getting partnership deals for those other platforms or are people now asking to do partnership or branded content for TikTok now? I'm still getting requests for the other platforms, although I, I did sort of taper down what I'm doing in terms of sponsored and things like that just because it felt like I was saying yes to too many things. And it was, I think a big part of what happened with TikTok was like, I stopped saying yes to a lot of things to allow myself to be more creative, to have more time. And that's what allowed TikTok to really grow for me. And I don't want to get back to a place where I'm creating a lot of things for other people and not creating it for me and for my audience. I am 1000% a creator at heart. I came from a theater world, a creative background. So like me getting up in the morning and making something is what I love doing. And not that I don't love working with brands, but I think I was getting to a point where I was doing it more for the brands than I was for myself. And I don't know that I'll start taking any sort of sponsorship in terms of winery anytime soon for TikTok because I just... I want that platform to develop organically. I want it to develop in the way that I want it to develop. And I don't want it to be tainted until that moment really presents itself in a way that makes sense for myself and for my audience, as sort of cliche as that sounds. And then there's also the gray area of what TikTok actually will allow me to do in terms of sponsored content with wineries. So for right now, even though after that article, I got a lot of obviously inquiries from wineries asking to do stuff. My answer is no, there's nothing paid that I'm doing. Happy to receive samples. If there's things that you think should be up for consideration, we'd love to see your list. And for those PR agencies or people that are working with wineries, I, you know, I love knowing who's repping who so that when an opportunity presents itself, 
I can go to you and say, hey, I'm working on this piece of content, would love to maybe feature X, Y, and Z. But in terms of like making content for Peter's winery, that's not going to happen anytime soon. And so you mentioned just now that there's some restrictions on what TikTok allows for branded content. I remember you saying that they have some unique restrictions for alcohol in general and its use on the platform. What what are those? Yeah, so I think it's still a little bit gray. They just had rolled out a new set of community or an updated set of community guidelines in early March that we weren't really sure was or was not going to affect the alcohol segment that is on TikTok. I haven't really seen it impact. A few people have said, yes, it has. I don't see them as being all that different from Instagram and Facebook. I just see it as being enforced differently. So the same rules sort of apply. Like you can't, you can't show anything alcohol related with minors, no excessive consumption of alcohol. And then the biggest thing is no solicitation of alcohol. So like no peddling your product and no saying. And again, like, I don't know where that line is because is it me talking about Massacan and then putting a link in my bio to purchase that? Like, is that the line or have I already crossed it by doing that? I don't know. And, you know, TikTok's not very incredibly forthright about saying where that line is. And I think to their credit, they've done a great job at supporting this community without, without it hindering what we do, but also protecting the big segment of minors that are on the platform. I do not want my content shown to under 21-year-olds, obviously. I don't think anyone in the alcohol sector does. So I appreciate that they have sort of taken a different stance on that. But I think it does present a difficult or tricky set of waters for me to navigate in terms of working with wineries that are paying me to talk about their brand. Does that go into the solicitation of alcohol? I would say yes. If I have to put paid sponsored content, I would say yes. I thought you mentioned that you couldn't drink on video. Is that true? I have taken a stand on not actually consuming alcohol in my videos because I did get like a, not a flag, but there's like a disclaimer on one of my videos that said this something, whatever. It was like doing this activity is harmful or dangerous. And I don't know if, I don't know if that was a result of, there was also me driving in the video. So I don't know. Um, Not at the same time, just to be clear. Uh, (laughs) So I don't know if it was the driving. I don't know if it was like, cause I took a sip of wine and it's one of the only videos that I have on TikTok where I'm actually taking a sip of wine. So I've just sort of to eliminate any issues, there's always the hint of me drinking. There's maybe a me with a glass of wine. There's maybe me pouring it. But you will rarely, if ever, see me actually drinking wine on TikTok because I just, I feel like that is a flagrant violation that they have no choice but to say, you are drinking on TikTok, on camera. We have to take this video down. And honestly, I put too much effort into these to have that happen. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're not doing branded sponsorships or branded content, I know my fiance mentioned at some point there was some like compensation programs from TikTok for creators and there's ways for like audience to like give money to creators and things like that. Do you do any of those or could you explain how those work? Yeah, so there's two types of ways to make money in app. One is through the creator fund that TikTok actually pays and the other is through gifts from your audience. In both cases, you have to have X number of followers. I want to say there's like different levels for different things. Like one of the thresholds is a thousand, the next one is like a hundred thousand. One of the things that I had heard, or at least I had read, and this kind of makes sense, right? It's it's a slightly perverse incentive for 
TikTok to be paying their creators based on views, right? So if you're getting like $10 per thousand views and TikTok is the one that's deciding how many views you get, I don't know, it sort of stands to reason to me to think that maybe TikTok won't push my content that hard if they know that they are going to have to pay me per view. And, you know, I don't think there's a lot of money to be made. And I've never been someone that believes that the platform that's sort of allowing me to build an audience is the one that should also be paying me if there are other ways to do it. I know there's probably some creators that would disagree, but with all of the outlets and all of the pathways to monetization these days, I just feel like let the apps do what they do, let the creators do what they do, let them work together. But I don't see any merit in TikTok paying me for my work on there, even though I am the reason that people are on their app. But other pathways would be like I'm working potentially on a course, right? Like that would be something that I could monetize. Some people have like a Substack. Some people obviously do paid sponsorship that's outside of the wine realm. Like I would totally be open to things that would be with cookware companies or in the fashion or the beauty segment, like something that's tangentially related, but not necessarily wine, I would maybe be open to. But yeah, in terms of like being part of the creator fund, I'm not into it. And then like the gifts are nice from the audience. I think it really, it's sort of that like Patreon kind of like, we love you. Thanks for doing what you do. And that's kind of nice. It's not like a lot of money by any means. Like I think maybe I could buy Starbucks with it, but that's it. (laughs) So yeah, those are the two primary ways in app. So I'm curious on what are some of the trends or interactions that are unique to TikTok? And I guess maybe focus on which ones you think are most relevant for wine content. Well, the trends that are relevant for wine, there's nothing like on TikTok that I think is specifically wine relevant. I think education is obviously a big one, you know, if if you could call that a trend. I think one thing that I had assumed going onto the platform that I was wrong about was that I was going to have to really dumb it down and I was going to have to talk about more grocery store wines, wines that were a lot less expensive. And I think it's not a trend, but it's, it is in some ways in that there is such a breadth of audience that you can be whoever you want on this platform. You can sell expensive wine or you can talk about expensive wine or you can talk about grocery store wine and people will have success in both ways. But there's you know lots of different types of creators that are using the trends, using some of the trending audio. So like these sounds that are coming out, whether they're clips from American Psycho or fun clips from Cardi B songs, like they are finding ways to apply those to wine. And I think that's really fun. I think, you know, some people think it's stupid, but I think it's for some, it's a gateway. For some, it's a, it's an easy way to understand a very complicated or often complicated subject. One thing you see with the food scene on TikTok is that someone will make something and oftentimes crazy stuff. And then like, you'll see people respond and have like the split screen where they're actually like, someone's actually like, well, I'm going to tell you what I think about the way this person made this food. It's actually a pretty vibrant food community on TikTok. I'm curious if you're seeing any of that kind of like dual responses happening in TikTok for wine content or your content specifically. Yeah, a little bit. So that what you're talking about is called a duet. So it's basically when you take another creator's content and you do a side-by-side and some people do reaction videos, some people just talk about what's going on. I had a wildly successful video using that exact trend that you're talking about, this duet trend, right? So this video of this somebody opening a bottle at a table with port tongs and a follower had tagged me in the video and said, would love to see you talk about what's going on. And I was like, all right, no problem. So I do it and it's 60 seconds. I don't think I put makeup on for the darn thing because I was like, this isn't going to be whatever. 
this is like early days of TikTok when I'm like not understanding things clearly. And it is now sitting at just shy of 2 million views. This is a video literally of me explaining while someone else is doing it what port tongs are. So yeah, do I see that as being a thing? For sure. I think that's a thing across the platform, maybe not specific to wine, but I love I love when people show fun wine things and you can have wine experts chime in on on their opinions. Now, I will say like there is on the flip side of that, like I've had some commentary on my videos that was maybe a little less positive. I don't know. <laughs> like a little bit more critical, but like you go, you know, that like comes with the territory of putting yourself out there and being on a platform like Gotta this. Gotta have a thick skin if you're going to put content out there. Yeah, it's a- oh, it's, I'm calloused all over my body. I think it's <laughs> Just don't <laughs> go up all. and uh, slap them in the Oscars. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't, I don't think I drink enough wine to ever slap another human being for calling me a name. <laughs> so for the, wine trade that are listening to this episode, who were some of the creators and including your tag that people should be watching and looking out for, like just to keep an eye on like who's doing a good job of talking about wine in this space? Yeah. I mean, I think there's going to be a different strokes for different folks, right? Like I'm not going to appeal to everyone. So there's lots of different types of creators on there. Wine with David was one of the OGs. He's like part-time in Appy. He's got a wine brand. Uh, so he's one of the big ones. The Millennial Psalm. That's Isis Daniel. She does a great job. Hers is very fun, but educational as well. Lucia Loves Wine is great. She's an LA-based sommelier slash chef, I believe. Jamie Griff is great. He's like one of the also an OG, I kind of call him the godfather because when I first started having some success in the platform, he DM'd me and was like, I love your content. You're great. Like anything I can do to help you. And he's like, you're going to be soaring past me soon. And then like within a few weeks, I'd passed him followers. And he was like, damn, I didn't think it would be that fast. But he's great. He's actually a, a retired guy that was really into wine that makes... That's like what he does now. He makes wine-focused content. I think he's, oh God, I don't want to out his age, but he's retired at an age one might retire outside of Silicon Valley. There's Jamie Griff. There's also Legally Wined. I think she does a great job. She's got a, a law back. She's actually, I think, currently a lawyer who has a wine background. Lexi's Wine List is great. The Millennial Wine Lovers. It's not a big community, but it's a tight one. And we're all doing different things. And it seems to me that everyone's pretty supportive of one another. So I'd love to see more people on there. This isn't like a one person does it and nobody else can do it. Like I think the, the more the algorithm can find these audiences, the better it's going to be for everyone. And the more we're going to understand, the more we're going to understand as an industry just how far this reach is. And so you mentioned sponsorships may not be the best platform. TikTok may not be the best platform for wine brands. How should wine brands think about using TikTok effectively? Well, I mean, I think there's a few wine brands that are on there that are doing a great job. I mean, Joe Wagner is crushing it. He's got like 30,000 followers and he just kind of like started around the same time as I did. And he's showing everything from the inside of his white wine barrel, you know, where he's doing barrel fermentations and showing the leaves. He's showing like there's a video of him dipping the wax. So I think for the wineries, I think it could be very educational. I think some wineries have really interesting things going on in terms of what happens in the vineyard with regenerative agriculture or animals in the property, you know, really showing who they are and what they do. I think it's the same as Instagram in a lot of ways, like show us why you're different. 
you know, we all care about how the juice tastes, of course, but like show us why we care. What's the sticky part of the winery and how can you translate that in a creative way that's going to make sense or resonate with other people? And Instagram was basically through photo and a few videos. And I think now, you know, it's obviously it has to be through video and TikTok. And I think it's brands aren't necessarily the biggest on TikTok. It really is about the creators on TikTok, but brands are responding in the comments and they, there needs to be a place for people to find them within the context of the platform. So I think it's all about storytelling as always that never changes and and who you are as a winery. And so what about brands interacting with influencers or maybe even can you do advertising? Do you think that's effective? I don't know about advertising. I know that you can. I don't know as a winery if you would be able to. I think I'm not sure where that gray area is exactly. But as far as interacting with creators... I'm sure there are some that are going to be willing to do paid sponsorships. I have gotten a request from a big winery that clearly would have done their research on whether or not they're allowed to about doing a paid sponsorship. I said no, because I wasn't doing them, but there are some people that are doing them. And then in terms of working with creators, I think just being supportive. And I think one thing I'm seeing right now is some of these brands, some of these companies are going for that immediate right hook. And that feels aggressive, that right hook of like, try our wine, try our wine. And it's like, all right, well, there's like a better way of going about this than just like jamming it down my throat. So I think establishing yourself as a friend of the creator and a fan even, offering to send samples, offering to have a conversation with the winemaker, just establishing that relationship. Because ultimately, the reason that I even featured those wines that went viral in the first place was because of long-term relationships that I had with both Harvest Duhigg and with Dan Petrosky. I knew them really well. I was comfortable with their wines. I was more importantly comfortable recommending their wines because I had such a long-standing relationship with them. And what was important to me was that whoever decided to go after those wines was going to have a positive experience with both of those brands. So the only way for that to happen is is to have a relationship with a winery that's long-term, that feels organic and that feels trustworthy. So those wines are not inexpensive. I'm curious, like in terms of wines that the audience, your audience is asking you to talk about, I mean, are they directing the content towards different types of wines or different price points? Or how do you think about choosing the wines that you're going to mention in your content? I think people are less obsessed with price than we think they are. I think they are willing to spend the money if they feel like it's worth it and we have to tell them why it's worth it. So no, I don't I don't go into it thinking, like obviously I'm not going to sell a bottle of Harlan, right? Like that's egregious. I'm not going to go out, I'm, but I will happily talk about it. I don't know where the limit is, but it's such a wide range of what people are interested in. And like I said before, I don't think it's limited to $10 bottles. You know, I think people are definitely hungry for like the Trader Joe's and the Target Halls for sure. But I also think that there is a whole sector of people, not I think I know that there's a whole sector of people that want to spend more money on wine. They just, nobody wants to be had. Nobody wants to have that like gotcha moment where they're like, oh crap, like I just spent $100 on a bottle of garbage. Like this is marketing BS. So I think if we give them that opportunity or at least give them the opportunity to be informed, then price is really not a factor. Like the difference between $50 and $100, once you're sort of over that hurdle, isn't that much. It's just a matter of whether or not that person 
is curious about the story and can find a way to justify it to themselves. So as an example, we mentioned the prices earlier. The Mexican wines are 30 to $40, white wines, and then the Duhigg Cabernet is over $100, right? And those wineries saw uptick in either signups or email list and things like that directly around the time frame. As a reference, those are fairly expensive wines in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And I think one of the things that made, I mean, Mossican's expensive as compared to the $12, $15 wines that most people are buying, right? Not maybe relative to what you and I are drinking. But the interesting about Duhigg was that wine was featured in a video, which was, if you love this, try that. So I had already sort of put that into context with that hook of like, all right, if you love Camus, try Duhigg. If someone loves Camus, they're already spending $100 in a bottle of wine. That's a given. The other one was Harlan. Obviously, if you're curious about Harlan, you're curious about expensive wines. So you're probably not going to have an issue spending a buck fifty on the mascot. If you're drinking the prisoner, again, a fifty to sixty dollar bottle of wine, you're probably not going to have an issue spending forty five on the disciples. So it's all relative. But I think again, like what people need to understand is it's all relative to maybe what they know or what they're familiar with. And giving them that access point, I think, gave Duhigg the leg up into the exact demographic, the exact audience that was already comfortable spending or maybe curious about spending because their dad drank Camus or because they heard about Camus, but they didn't really want the cachet of Camus. They wanted something more boutique and I gave them a pathway to get there. Interesting point of view on the wanting something similar, but smaller. So you mentioned how you're personally moving your content creation focus away from Instagram and YouTube into TikTok. A lot of times, a lot of brands will try to leverage the same content across all those platforms. I'm curious on what are your thoughts? Like, what do you recommend the brand do if they're going to create some content? How should they be spending their time in those three spaces, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram? I mean, I think any social media expert would tell you it all. Like the idea of recycling content is a nice one, but it's not often the most successful. You can have the same thematic elements across the three platforms, but they do have to present in different ways. And some, you know, if you're creative and you can figure out a way to shoot things and edit things so that they look more geared for, and they look different, you know, across the three platforms, then great. But like, you cannot take a YouTube video and just post it on TikTok. I mean, you could try. And there's some that will do well because the content is just that good. But you're seeing it with a few and I won't name anybody, but you're seeing it with wine person in particular, and it's a problem. It's not resonating. And I think if you're creating content on YouTube and just trying to slice and dice it for TikTok, and maybe you're not finding that hook, or maybe it almost looks, sometimes it looks too polished. You know, TikTok is really about having more of that organic, native, off the cuff kind of look. Yeah, YouTube's gotten very polished. Yeah. It's super about like anything I put in YouTube, like I'm shooting like it's high quality camera. It's a high quality audio. It's it's good lighting. Like I'm paying for, I'm paying a lot of money to make sure that quality is there. TikTok, it takes time, but it doesn't take money, which I guess time is money, but it doesn't take like, it doesn't take a $5,000 a day shoot in order to put a TikTok up. So my recommendation is if you're shooting, let's say you're shooting YouTube content, right? You shoot your YouTube content, that's your main platform. What you should be potentially doing on TikTok is someone behind the scenes with an iPhone recording the behind the scenes of that. If you're not going to also shoot something specifically for TikTok, take photos and post that to Instagram or maybe take that, take a few clips of that video and splice and dice it into a reel. But to take one and copy paste to the other is 
you can try it, but it's probably not going to work. Hey, you hear a lot of people saying that they want to do that. I'm like, hey, I'm not sure that's the, the best uh, advice. <laughs> it would be but, so nice if we could just do that, right? Yeah. Well, audiences are fundamentally different, right? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the thing. The, the platforms are used for different things. The audience is different. So you want to cater to those audiences and platforms. So the TikTok wine element has been nicknamed Wine Talk. Or maybe that's yeah, that's a real a, hashtag, hashtag, actually, right? <laughs> it is a real hashtag. Yeah. So what do you think will be the next trends for Wine Talk? I think the next trend is getting more wineries and more sommeliers like engaged. And I think the pathway is maybe the same as it was with Instagram. Like we had our first handful of creators, then some sommeliers followed suit and some wineries followed suit. So again, that's not a trend, but I do think that like ultimately the people that are on the platform dictate those trends. So I don't know. I mean, TikTok changes every single freaking day. It's exhausting. So <laughs> If I had a crystal ball, I wish I knew because I could plan for it. But more education, I think. I would love to see more education. I'd love to see more wineries talking about you know what's going on. I think what Joe Wagner is doing is great. I think there were some other wineries featured in that article, Brasswood being one of them. They're having a lot of fun with it. I think just wineries showing themselves, you know, being a little bit more transparent, not being afraid to show their bumps and their bruises. Lord knows 2020 is an opportunity to show some bumps and bruises and some realness. So maybe this is the opportunity to like have a good cry on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> All right, crying. I heard it coming. I cry in my next uh, wine talk video. Amanda, to wrap up this episode, you want to end on a personal note with you. Uh, we are curious, over the last year, what has been the most memorable wine that you've consumed and who did you drink it with? I can't believe you're asking me this because I feel like you already know the answer. Well, we were just in Montalcino together. I have to tell you, I still have dreams about that 2004 Biondi Santi Reserva. Being in that cellar, hanging out with you guys, drinking that wine with the team, that was a hell of a way to kick off the year. And I don't, I don't know. I get goosebumps thinking about it because I don't know if, I don't know if that's going to be topped for a good long while. So it was a good trio of wines too with those three. It was a great, I know picking just one vintage would like seemed a little ridiculous, but the 04 does like, you know. That did stand out. It did stand out for me too. There for me. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining and kind of shedding a little bit of light onto uh, this emergent platform that has obviously taken most of the rest of the world by storm, but uh, has slowly uh, seeping into the wine industry as well. So everybody, if they want to find you on the various social medias, we'll link you up in the show notes. But so Sam Vivant everywhere. Yeah, I've got an underscore between Sam and Vivant on TikTok because somehow Sam Vivant was taken. I don't know why. I think I started it musically back in the day and that just never ported over. So... Well, thank you for all your time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me again, guys. It was good to see you. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash xchateau if you'd like to support us in bringing you the highest quality content on the business of wine. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. cheers.